Hello and welcome to Mutual Assured Conversation. I'm joined by Lockdown Luca Vets. Hello, hello Lockdown Nicholas Webb. Now, before we go any further, we, we have a, a little announcement to make about this podcast because we've got a new cover picture for our podcast, haven't we? Luke, do you want to yes. tell the people? Yes, da, 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 da. it's got tapirs on it. Yeah, the, the tapir thing has got slightly out of hand in the last couple of weeks, hasn't it? Um, th- this all started with a, I'm not sure where it was from, but it was in Spanish, wasn't it, the poster? It's from Guatemala. Uh, sorry? Guatemala. It was, it, was, uh, it was a public information um, poster in Guatemala where it was suggested that uh, if you're unsure how far apart people should be in the street, then you should be approximately the length of a South American tapir away, which is two metres. Yep. Their Wikipedia page says they are two metres. Although other types of tapir are not, so it has to be a South American one, doesn't it? Yes, yes. Other types of tapir are available. Um, so, I'm, not, uh, I'm not sure how practical it is to walk around imagining there's a tapir all around you. But something more complicated occurred to me yesterday. While I was out on my daily permitted potter around Newport, um, I went under a bridge. So do we have to account for two metres above our heads as well if somebody else is going across the bridge? I mean, I can't visualise a tapir on top of my head. <laughs> I think you're probably overthinking it, really. OK. Um, but, but we have marked tapirs in our, our new cover picture. To be honest, our old cover picture, because Mutual Assured Conversation is like Mutual Assured Destruction, which came from the fact that when Luke and I stood for local government election um, in a sort of Brangelina way, we jokingly became nuke. I think we shouldn't overthink that either. Um, no, we uh, nuke to Mutual Assured Destruction, Mutual Assured Destruction to Mutual Assured Conversation. And... Then the tapir poster led. So the, the explosion picture wasn't really relevant to anything other than that. We just needed a quick picture and it sort of linked back to mutually assured destruction. But now we've talked about tapirs. Um, I suspect for the duration of, of social distancing and who knows how long that's going to be, uh, we will have the tapir as our picture. And of course, our instructions are not in Spanish because our audience is not predominantly Guatemalan, is it? Mm, well, I don't think so. You, you, you've got the figures, but I'm pretty sure. It's not. Uh, I have figures and I will only ever talk in percentage terms because the figures are really low and embarrassing otherwise. <laughs> no, I've. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, so so I've, I've put forward a, uh, a, a Welsh version of it um, talking about uh, so social distancing. Um, and uh, I'm sure there are people who are far better at, um, at, at written Welsh out there. So um, if, if you do notice anything, then um, keep it to yourself. <laughs> yeah we, we, we play quite like, I, I think and, and i don't think people well cardies will will mind me saying this but i think we do tend to play fairly fast and loose with some of the uh, the rules of welsh around here so um i'm allowing it anyway well it, yeah. it's a healthy thing to be a living language isn't it so we'll, we'll, oh, we'll, yes. we'll park yes. that one there not sure how many welsh speaking tapirs there are in the world but that's another matter well, and, yeah, and that's, that's, that's probably so not a matter for another podcast, to be honest. I think we should probably just never talk about that again. Okay. <laughs> what we are going to talk about in this podcast is about candidate selection. So in the past, we've done some podcasts where we've talked 
um, based on our experience of canvassing um, and, um, and and some of the other features we did hustings, didn't we? Some of the other features of politics, the party politics, and of campaigning and so on. Um, so we thought we'd talk about candidate selection because that is something that kind of happens in the background. And for most people, you see the announcement that the Labour Party have selected X, the Conservative Party have selected Y, but you don't necessarily get to see the workings of how you get to that stage. So we thought we'd, we'd cover that today. Um, and we'll try and touch upon a few different elections. Um, between us, I think we've stood for community council elections, um, uh, local authorities or council elections, assembly elections, police and crime commissioner elections, and parliamentary elections. So if you're really interested to know how the selection process for a European election went, it's kind of out of date now, isn't it, anyway? Um, oh, yeah. We probably can't help you. Um, but um, hopefully we'll be able to touch on that a little bit. I think one thing that is going to be a feature of this is there is some variation and relaxation at times. So, for example, if you think about it, a constituency, um, I really wish I knew how many councillors there were in my constituency before I started the sentence. A constituency like Newport West will have one parliamentary candidate, but it will have 20-ish councillors. Um, so clearly, you're not going to have such a rigorous process in place for that. And it also depends on the party. If the party is particularly strong in an area, so if you're Labour in South Wales, there's probably a good chance that you will have competitive selections. Um, if you're Labour in Surrey, you might well find that you're just looking for anybody who's willing to stand. And that obviously works in reverse with other parties and so on and so forth. Um, Luke, you were a parliamentary candidate and an assembly. No, you were a parliamentary candidate before me. You were an assembly candidate at the same time as me. So should we start with your experience of that? Uh, yes, I suppose so. I mean, I, I, yeah, I recall being um, a, uh, well, a, a county council candidate back in 2008. Um, but my, my first experience of a national election then was in 2010 when I stood um, in my home constituency here in, in Ceredigion. Um, and I recall, actually, that the association had had quite a bit of difficulty actually um, getting a candidate at that um, time. And uh, there, there was a stage when I thought that I'd missed my chance. Um, I'd um and, um denied about uh, putting my name forward to, um, to go to a, parliament, a parliamentary assessment board. Um, and actually, um, it got to the stage where it uh, it was cancelled because uh, a couple of, uh, of the candidates pulled out and there wasn't anybody left. So actually, I, I got a second chance. Um, I managed to to get a place on the uh, the parliamentary assessment board. Um, we better talk about what a parliamentary assessment board is. Yeah. And and I'm sure different parties will have something similar. But the Parliamentary Assessment Board is a, is a process by which the, the Conservative Party um, goes through um, a combination of assessments to determine the, um, the, the, the competence and uh, the abilities of a potential candidate. And so there are a range of different exercises, um, which you know, um, Nick and I you know, both went through at 
uh, different times. And actually, it was quite a... Where did you take place? Cambridge. I went to Cambridge as well. It's very nice. It's a long way, but it's very nice. It's, it's, it's a long way to go from Aberystwyth. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I'll I stop winning. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I went on the train from Aberystwyth to, to Cambridge. And it's, it's, it's a long way. I mean, I don't think it's made particularly easy for people. Um, you have to do a lot of travelling around once you're a candidate anywhere. And that's a you know, we'll discuss that at some other juncture. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it's quite a long way to go. And I, I, I recall the process actually being very demanding. Um, you know, the, the exercises were very, very much full on. Um, it took the whole day. And I don't remember all that much, actually, from um, having a cup of coffee at the beginning. Um, and then uh, all of a sudden I remember blinking out in the sunshine several hours later after it was all over. Um, it was a, a lot of hard work. In fact, I was asked one of the hardest questions I've ever been asked. So one element is, is an interview. And I was asked um, the question, can you suggest a situation where an old solution would be the solution to a new problem? I mean, that's a te- that's a that's a awful question to get. It is, isn't it? I'm still processing the question, let alone working out the answer. I know. I know. It really it really was. And I think I, I, I recall I came up with um, that, uh, I, that my computer has a new problem. And so uh, I use control alt delete and I turn it off and put it back on again. Good answer. Yeah, well, it's the best, um, the best that I could do. So it's it, yeah. That's, yeah, not- I, mean, I uh, we'll talk about the other parties in a second. But as we've both gone through the process with the Conservatives, we'll just stick with that for a moment. I first of all went through an assembly assessment panel um, and essentially it's the same process. Um, I think in reality the bar is probably a little bit lower simply because of the number of candidates they need. I don't think there would be um, enough people on the list if they had the bar at the same level as it's for the parliamentary campaign and indeed there are people who've been on the assembly list who haven't made it onto the parliamentary list so presumably that is the case although understandably they they don't want to admit it as such um but the process was was remarkably similar um i don't remember a vast amount it was close to aberystwyth of course it took place in uh wells for me for the assembly um inconvenient for everybody in wales well it's the whole purpose of flandrindod wells really isn't it as a conference venue um uh, and of course it was the metropole hotel which is always the place in wells um, I remember a few bits of that. I um, the, the there's the components are essentially the same for both the parliamentary and the assembly list. Um, as far as I remember, there's a sort of essay section where you're given two questions to respond to. I can't remember what I had for the assembly election. Sorry, the assembly uh, um, assessment board for the Westminster one. One of those questions was something like what makes you a conservative or what is your um, perspective of conservatism? It's something of that nature. Um, And then there was something more topical. I don't remember what the topical one was off the top of my head. There was a public speaking exercise, which effectively is slightly more generous than simulating doorstepping. So you're told a topic 
which you've not got advanced knowledge of um, and you are expected to produce a short speech might be five minutes I'm not sure um, about that topic and you've got sort of three minutes to to prepare that um, for the assembly one um, I was asked about House of Lords reform um, and it was something related to to Lords doing outside work as well as being Lords I can't remember exactly but um, I, I answered uh, William Graham was um, was overseeing that one um, and I think I answered with a suitably middle of the road non-controversial response um, at the parliamentary one, uh, it was Karen Bradley, who is now the MP for, oh, sorry, then was the MP for Staffordshire Moorlands as well. Um, and uh, with her, it was, uh, the, the topic was um, to talk about whether ebooks could bring the joy of learning to Africa. Now, you can have had a look through the morning paper and come up with your lines to take on the big stories of the day you're probably not going to prepare for something like that I did hear somebody who had a ridiculous question at one of these which was to do with Batman um I'm not sure precisely what the question was I can't imagine it but I think that probably would have thrown me thankfully I felt reasonably at ease talking about the accessibility of mobile technology in Africa um but um so there was that component of it there was then an interview. I don't remember a massive amount about the interview. I do remember at the Westminster one that at that time there was quite a push on people having a role in diversity and inclusiveness. Um, and a couple of bits of my experience were very clearly noted down very positively during that. I don't remember much of the rest of it. Um, and then there's a sort of debate section, or not a debate section, um, a sort of problem solving session. Yeah, it's, it's, it's more of a teamwork exercise. Yeah. There's, there's a teamwork exercise and then there's a, um, um, a, a prioritisation, sort of an in-tray-out-tray exercise as, as well. Oh, there is. I'd forgotten about that. Oh, that was horrible. Yeah, it's... Well, I, I, I think it, I, I didn't mind it so much because I'm fairly transactional like that anyway, um, you know, in terms of my work. So just sort of... That, that was all right. Prioritisation, isn't it? Even back then, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I mean it was quite a, it was a, a thorough um, process, and there's an awful lot thorough of having, going over. Yeah, yes, and there was, and there was a lot, uh, a lot of having to think on your feet, um, which then does beg the question: why you end up with um, uh, some MPs who come up with some ridiculous things sometimes. Um, uh, that's a very general point, isn't it? But, you know, yeah, I, and I think it, it is something that could be coached as well. Yes. I, I, mean, I think you and I probably went into those without a great deal of knowledge as to what we, I mean, with a piece of paper telling us these are the stages you're going to go through, but not much more than that. Um, I suspect there are others who are given a lot of guidance as to the process to go through um, yeah. and, and can probably focus in a, a little bit more. Um, we also then bluntly have the situation where sometimes this is entirely bypassed and if they want to rush somebody onto the list they'll rush somebody onto the list so if a by-election occurred for example 
uh, you might well find that somebody who's not on the appropriate list, but for whatever reason is deemed the best candidate is, is hastily added onto the list without going through the entire process. Or in, in some cases, they were done by Skype, wasn't it? And it took about an hour as opposed to taking a day. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, uh, through, a, through, um, through, through that sort of process, which, um, you know, as somebody who went from Aberystwyth to Cambridge, um that's actually got you on the list alone really yeah you you'd, you'd have thought so but um yeah and then actually I, I do recall on the way back going off on a tangent i was i was sat on on, on the train um from cambridge and this gentleman well we'll call him that anyway he, he sat down opposite me on at, at, a, uh, at a table seat and he opened up a uh, a little black case and from that he took out a flute and he carefully put this flute together. We, we seem to have lost you right at the key moment of the flute story. I thought he's going to, yeah, I thought, thought going to, um, to uh, do something uh, exciting for us. You know, he's going to play something nice to ease the monotony of the journey. And then he just kept playing the same note over and over again, probably once every 15 <laughs> seconds until the uh, the guard came over and asked him to uh, to stop it so he put it away the guard went away and then he brought it back out and he kept he just kept playing <laughs> the same note probably once every 15 seconds um yeah so i think for, for for that i should have gone on the list anyway having to put up with that and all the traveling and dealing with that chap on the train um was enough it, it- um, it feels like there's an analogy between that and then getting given the lines to take document after you get on the candidates list. Well, yes. Just playing the same note all the time. Well, yes, there is something like that. Um, yeah, it's. Um, yes, I, I think for, for I think we're both. I think we're it's, it's right for me to say this, but I, I do think that we both do have opinions. I don't think that's too far, too much of a stretch. And we, we do try and think for ourselves. Um, yeah, I also think anybody who's standing for election probably should be in that position. Well, you'd think so. Um, although, uh, no, I have known people who do seem to be quite vacuous um, and just just say what they're told, um, basically. Um, I shan't name any specific examples. But, but they're uh, probably doing well in their career. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, yeah. well, that's the thing. I mean, I've, I've got all of this wrong, you see. Um, yeah. yeah, you only realise when it's too late, though, don't you? You only realise it's too late. You just think, oh, I, sh- I should have just been vacuous and incompetent and have no principles. But um, there we go. Um, <laughs> not, not wishing to sound bitter in any way, shape or form, Nick. Um, so I move so, things along? So we'll move things along. So after the Parliamentary Assessment Board, then uh, you have to, uh, once, once you're on the list, you'll have to apply for constituencies. Um, so, so different constituencies will select then. And so you have to make an application. So you sent out uh, the different tranches of, of, of seats and you have to put forward an application. You have to fill in a, um, an application form as to um, why um, you'd be an appropriate candidate in that constituency, previous experience and what have you. And then it's down to uh, on a constituency basis, in theory, to choose the candidate. And I have to say on that, um, I a few years back, I helped oversee a few constituency selection processes um, when I wasn't one of the people looking to be selected 
Um, and there is a a streak within association parties, which is to look at what's on the CV, find the very local issue that a candidate who's not particularly local has obviously gone through the papers or been advised this is the big issue and then picked out a question which is really hard for them to answer on that particular question yeah yeah and that's the that's the thing and i think there there are uh, i think it's again fairly safe to say that there have been documented instances where you have an association which wants a local person standing somebody with an affinity for the area and then the uh, the the conservative party i'm sure it's, it's other parties as well but the party saying well actually um, we want we would we want this person um, to be um, uh, to be yeah. your candidate, uh, and, and so you might have somebody from from further afield who has no affinity but is popular within certain circles. And, and I think that they can be quite good as well at um, both, both avoiding an audit trail on such things, but yes. also even to the extent there is an audit trail, it will be strongly advised. You know weight will be brought to bear as opposed to actually it being clear cut that no you can't have this person you must have that person yeah. although that has been known to happen um but uh, um but generally it'll be a matter of um let, let's say there's there's somebody who the party are particularly keen to to elevate this might be somebody who's perhaps um already working for a cabinet member at westminster i'm not knocking this because they those are some of the people who are best able to be MPs it's just you want it done through a fair process um, and um, it might well be that you know perhaps their um, the cabinet member they work for might have given a call to the association or the candidates department will have given a well the candidates department naturally will be involved in the shortlisting process and as much as it's down to the association to pick from the shortlist who's on that shortlist is not something that there's much local input on. Um, I think typically it's the association chair plus a couple of other officers are in a round table meeting with candidates department. Um, certainly in the case of seats where there's a realistic chance that they could be gained. Um, it, there's probably a more hands off approach in places where it's um, it's less likely, although in some cases you see people given their sort of experience run in those constituencies. Well, yes. I, I mean, uh, it's also, I think um, that there are, there is another process within the um, uh, with, with the party, which is which is to have uh, open primaries um, as well. So, um, uh, which which is slightly different, rather than the association choosing per se, then you open that up to uh, open up a, a public meeting to, um, in theory, to uh, people from the constituency to then have a vote on um, who their candidate. Should be now. I don't think there've been that many of them, um, and I don't know if that's something that will continue. But it certainly was an option going back to uh, twenty when, when twenty fifteen, wasn't it, Nick? Oh, and before twenty ten as well. Oh yes, yes, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was involved in a couple. One in Kingswood, which eventually selected Chris Skidmore, who's gone on to be a very successful MP, um, and also one in Cheltenham. The Cheltenham one had probably 200 250 people in attendance it was really well attended including a few Lib Dem councillors and I can assure you there were some conservatives who were very unhappy that Lib Dem councillors had any say in the process um but of course overall they you know these couple yeah. of people's votes were massively outnumbered there yeah. have been there have been instances where 
that process favours the person who can get the most people in the room. Um, and because a lot of people wouldn't really have enough interest and motivation to get involved, they probably wouldn't go unless they were really keen to have a say. Um, but what I found quite constructive in some ways is when you've had that sort of battle and there are some people in the room who are very clearly only there because they back one candidate, and they don't particularly have an interest in conservative politics. Um, actually, when they're listening to the other candidates speaking, they start to take on board what they're saying and they see it as quite a positive thing. And I thought it was quite encouraging, actually. I'm, um, I'm not saying it's a perfect situation, but I think there's something to be said for it because individual parties you know, conservative members tend to be to the right of the electorate as a, at large. Labour members tend to be to the left of the electorate at large. Um, so yeah, the people making these selections are not necessarily a good reflection of the constituency as a whole. Um, no. And if you can factor in that element, I think it's quite good. Plus, also, it makes the whole process look a lot, a lot more open to, yeah. you know, anybody looking into the local press and so on. It, it does. All, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I have that there are rumours and I should should um, now I have to, I have to say that uh, this isn't something of which I have proof, but there have been rumours in the past where um, you know, from um, fairly trusted sources, shall we say, um, that the result of the um, open primary was decided almost beforehand. And, um, you know, it's been suggested um that a party um, had um, an, an official from a party had um, hadn't even bothered opening the ballot box, even I've heard. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But I suppose you have to take it on trust then that each party will be responsible and that there wouldn't be anything like that happening. But it, it's yeah it's it's really quite awkward um but I think yeah there's, there's an inconsistency on the transparency isn't there yeah. um i i've not heard anything um as as clear-cut as that i have heard secondhand of um one selection meeting where there was a concern that the perceived outsider had done such a good job and the perceived favourite had done such a bad job um, that there was real concern and, and I think there was almost sort of mutterings about how can we make sure the person we want wins um, yeah. but um, it, I, I, I think in the end that didn't come to fruition so we never knew quite what the impact would have been um, but I mean I remember in 20. 15 in the selection in Newport West the votes were actually counted in front of the three candidates mm. now that's not been the case in other selections I've been involved with um, some of which I was selected in some of which I wasn't so I don't think there's, I don't think there's a um, um, there's any relevance to that um, but it does indicate that there's this sort of slight inconsistency as to process being undertaken yeah. um, well I mean, and, and also in terms of the process i mean you do have the rules that are are written down um and are set in stone except when they're not and they can be amended and adapted at short notice should we talk about list constituencies for all yes, this regions um because th this was an interesting one in 2016 in south wales east um 
a vote was taken. And I don't fully know the background of this, but a vote was taken to open the South Wales East Conservative list to um, to well, basically anybody who was on the approved candidates list to apply for. Um, whereas normally sitting AMs are protected and then it's a ranking of the, the candidates below that. So this was a ranking of all candidates in entirety. Um, and a number of us, myself included, who had not really intended to stand in that election, suddenly thought, actually, this is quite a good opportunity. Maybe I'll throw my hat in the ring. Mm. Um, now, it's for other people to make a, a judgment call as to the way in which that outcome of the ranking um, eventually emerged. Um, in fact, the final version didn't have my name on it because, uh, and I'll be completely honest here, I think of, if I remember rightly, I think I came eighth, but I was well down it. I wasn't about to get elected. Let's put it that way. And I, I, politely with, I politely withdrew and I wasn't the only person who politely withdrew seeing how far down the list they were. Yeah. Um, there were some surprises, though. I mean, I... <laughs> there were, the, the I was there when they were opening the envelopes and bearing in mind, I believe it's the case that Monmouth has the largest membership of any conservative association in Wales. The turnout from Newport East was phenomenal. Yes, well. Because the envelope said which constituency on them. So yeah. um, I, I'll be completely blunt about it. I did really badly. <laughs> um, to the extent that I think the number of people who put me top, because you ranked everybody one to 11, I think the number of people who put me top, I probably knew all the individuals because enough about the same number of people have told me they put me top as actually <laughs> I saw when the envelopes were open. So, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I probably I probably voted for you, Nick. I appreciate that. I appreciate I think that. I was the only one, but I think I did. It was it was slightly more than one. But um, yeah, it wasn't <laughs> great. Um, it was a long afternoon because you got the feeling pretty quickly after seeing the first few opened that you knew where it was going. Mm. Um, and actually, only I was one of only two of the candidates who were there. Everybody else had a representative. I can't remember why this was. They must have been counting at an odd time or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody else had a representative, and I'm sort of there. You know, they're, they're quite relaxed about it. I'm there seeing all these people putting me down to the sixth, seventh, sometimes worse on their lists. Um, I think there was it's certainly an element of tactical voting there. I don't. I think the tactical voting hit other people more than me. I'm very relaxed about it. I was a long way off. Um, getting selected at that time and um, yeah, yeah. but yeah. It, it, yeah a very high turnout in Newport East as I say. Well yes I mean it wasn't all that long ago that um, uh, I, I think it was, uh, it, was uh, it was a member of Newport East who miraculously renewed their membership whilst they were in prison. Um, we'll say no more about that. Um, yeah, that's the kind of thing that if I'd said, I would have checked with you as the legal expert that I was all right saying it, to be honest. But um, oh, no, 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 because it's true. <laughs> you know, it's something that was reported I, in the indeed, media. Indeed, it's public knowledge. It is it's in the public domain. It is true. And I think for me to comment that it is unusual is perfectly defensible. Um, There's a lot of unusual things that I've experienced in candidate selections. Yes. Um, we, we've obviously talked a lot about the Conservatives here. Um, I've got a bit of an idea as to how the process works with the Lib Dems and Labour. 
I have to apologise at this stage. I have no idea how candidate selection works with Plaid Cymru. So if anybody wants to tweet us afterwards and explain it to us, um, I'm sure we can we can retweet that out and um, um, sub subject to it being legally sound. Um, yes. We can. It would be, it'd be really interesting. I, I I don't know what it you know, might entail. I'd imagine that it's very similar. Um, well, the Lib Dem one is similar to what we've discussed with the Conservatives. I mean, I, I'm I'm not sure exactly what's involved, but essentially there's an assessment centre and then there's a an approved list. Mm. Um, it's it's been implied to me that there probably aren't enough people on that approved list. So the approved list kind of gets you first shot at the best seats, but then there might be an opportunity for members who are not on the approved list to go for the seats that remain after that. I've not seen it in process, so I'm not entirely sure how that operates, but that, that seems to be the approach. So essentially quite similar to the Conservatives, but probably with less people overall um, on that, that list. Um, for Labour, my understanding is, and this is partly through reading Isabel Hardman's very good book, Why We Get the Wrong Politicians, um, is that Labour don't have an approved candidates list system. Um, so any member within an area, and that area is not necessarily the constituency, I don't know how broadly drawn it is, but for example, there was a Newport councillor who applied when Labour was selecting in Torvine. So you're looking at sort of neighbouring constituencies, I guess. Um, any member can apply. Now, I think we probably saw the effect of that in 2017, where with the sort of Corbyn Easter takeover of the Labour Party, um, some of the normal rules of it being the the people that you see at your regular constituency meetings were being sidelined in favour of some of the more true believing um, hard left candidates. Um, and I think there was probably a few examples of that, including some that the Labour Party probably didn't expect to get elected winning in 2017. Um, so they do seem to have a far more open process. I can see both a positive and negative about that. I do think there is a case when you're selecting parliamentary terms, one of 650 legislators in the country, um, that you want to have a fairly robust um, process in place. On the other hand, having an approved candidates list does put the power in a very small number of people in a head office in London, or if you believe some of the stories we had a few months ago, maybe CCHQ will be in Stoke-on-Trent before too long, um, <laughs> then the Labour process, by that nature, at least at face value, appears to create a more localised selection procedure. Mm. Although that's often overlaid with um, all women shortlists with twinning of constituencies. I actually think twinning of constituencies is quite an interesting idea. Um, but um, so well, yeah. th th there are sort of nationally overlaid elements of that, but um, it does appear that it, it's kind of open to any member who wants to put themselves forward to be considered. And I'm not quite sure then who's involved in the shortlisting process. OK, well, yeah, I mean, I mean it would make sense if you if you did have that. You no, know, that sounds quite an attractive um, um, way of doing things provide that you and, and i'm sure they must have or they should have anyway robust um uh, policies and procedures in place that once somebody's put their names forward then that they are suitably vetted um, i'm not sure that is the case 
right. which is why it makes me raise an eyebrow when I hear about it. But um, but I mean, as I say, I've only, it, this is a combination of chatting to a few people in the Labour Party in the past and um, the the account in Isabel Hardman's book. Mm. OK, well, perhaps if you know, uh, we, we, we will open it out if there is uh, anybody from different parties who uh, have uh, experience then of dealing with um, with these elections. Now they should get in touch. Tell us what what they think about their processes, if we've got anything wrong in terms of uh, in terms of what we're suggesting happening and, um, you know, whether or not um, they think they could be improved in any way. Definitely. And, and things like. Um open primaries as well it'd be interesting to hear some views on that mm. um, and obviously they varied in their, their nature as well because on a small number of occasions there's actually been a postal vote has gone out to the entire constituency now that's a hugely expensive exercise um, that was the process that led to Sarah Williston becoming the conservative candidate in Totnes which yeah. probably didn't have I, the I did end result that they wanted <laughs> no no it's um yeah it's I mean, it, it is an important decision to make, and I, I suppose though what they're doing there is is that they're run, they're um they, they, that, that that's a way of of, of a party getting um, people in a local area um, to know somebody's name and to be invested in that from the beginning. Absolutely. And you wonder if that's more of a of a an election strategy as opposed to trying to get the best candidate it certainly has that effect as well yeah. uh, but yes if anybody's got any any views on this or indeed if they have other experiences they want to share then um tweet us um luke is at luke Evets. i'm at nv web be really interested to hear your views on that um and we'll come back with another podcast before too long yes and remember if you're walking down the street keep your tapiers lengthways to your side uh, no oh you're confusing people now nick keep at least a ta- a, a south american tapir away from people but it's got to be lengthwise well yes i suppose not widthwise I mean, if you were oh, actually walking down the road with a tapir it would be, mean, yes. you. It'd be widthwise yes got it i see what you mean yes you need to um yeah, that, and that's why it's so important to get this um, this guidance right. We're, we're providing a service here. When's World Tapia Day again? Uh, 27th of April. Everybody get your tapia bunting out. We'll be uh, celebrating here in, uh, well, at least one household will be celebrating in Keredigion anyway. <laughs> Lockdown with tapias. Um, yep. and, on that, and on that note, um, we will close the podcast. Speak to you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.